0: This is VOA News. Reporting via remote, I'm Richard Green. Family and supporters of former U.S. President Donald Trump are ripping the FBI search of Trump's Florida estate. A.P. Washington correspondent Sagar Magani reports.
1: Eric Trump says it's yet another attack against all the Trumps.
2: There's no family in American history that has taken more arrows in the back.
1: Telling Fox News Channel's Hannity, Democrats have a clear goal.
2: They don't want Donald Trump to run and win again in 2024.
1: The Trumps accuse Democrats of weaponizing the Justice Department. GOP Senator Roger Wicker says Attorney General Merrick Garland and FBI Chief Chris Wray must explain why the search happened. We deserve answers. We deserve the transparency. The department's not commenting at the White House. We
3: did not have advance notice.
1: Spokeswoman Karine Jean Pierre said she has no comment about the search itself.
4: This is a criminal investigation that uh, the Department of Justice is independently running.
0: Soder Magani, Washington. U.S. President Joe Biden formally welcomed Finland and Sweden joining the NATO alliance Tuesday as he signed the instruments of ratification that delivered the U.S.'s formal backing of the Nordic nations entering the mutual defense
5: pact. Seeking to join NATO, Finland and Sweden are making a sacred commitment that an attack against one is an attack against all. It's Article 5 of the Washington Treaty and the core, the very core of our alliance.
0: It's part of a reshaping of the European security posture after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The Senate last week approved the once non-affiliated nations joining the alliance in a rare 95-to-1 vote. The country sought out NATO membership earlier this year to guarantee their security in the wake of Russian President Vladimir Putin's offensive in Ukraine. This is VOA News all 30 existing members of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization must consent before Finland and Sweden can officially join the alliance. A 51-year-old man from Afghanistan has been charged with killing two Muslim men in the southwestern U.S. state of New Mexico. Authorities also say he is suspected in the slainings of two others whose deaths sparked fear in Muslim communities nationwide. Officials announced the arrest a day after he was taken into custody. Police Chief Harold Medina said authorities had tracked down a vehicle believed to be involved in one of the slains in Albuquerque, New Mexico, in Albuquerque, New Mexico's largest city. Bloomberg News reported th- Tuesday that Britain is making plans for organized blackouts for industry and households over winter when cold weather may coincide with gas shortages. The news outlet says it has learned from people familiar with the government's planning that electricity capacity shortfall could total about one-sixth of peak demand even after emergency coal plants have been put to use. The potential shortfall, combined with below-average temperatures and reduced electricity imports from Norway and France, Britain could be exposed to four days in January when it may need to trigger emergency measures to conserve gas. A federal judge has rejected a bid by members of the Saudi backed Live Golf Tournament to play in the PGA Tour postseason. AP correspondent Mike Garcia reports.
1: A federal judge has ruled against three golfers who jumped to Saudi-backed to Live Golf but wanted to compete in the PGA Tours postseason. U.S. District Judge Beth Labson Freeman made her decision in San Jose, California after attorneys for the golfers and the PGA Tour each spoke for about an hour. Golfers Taylor Gooch, Matt Jones, and Hudson Swafford were seeking a temporary restraining order that would allow them to play in the first of three FedEx Cup playoff events beginning Thursday. They are among ten golfers who filed an anti trust lawsuit against the PA tour last week. I'm Mike Rossio.
0: Recapping our top story, the FBI search of former U.S. President Donald Trump's Florida residence is making a lot of noise around government, politics, and a polarized country. Trump and his allies are complaining, and others are wondering Tuesday why the U.S. Justice Department has decided to take such a drastic step. The FBI searched Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate as part of an investigation into whether he took classified records there from the White House. That's according to people familiar with the matter who spoke on condition of anonymity to discuss an ongoing investigation. You can find more on this story and all the stories we're covering on our website, VOANews.com. We also have an app you can download. Just search for VOA News. Reporting via remote, I'm Richard Green for VOA News.
6: Today is Wednesday, August 10th and this is VOA's International Edition. I am Chinatua in Washington. Coming up in the next half hour. Taiwan warns that China's military drills off its coast is an excuse for an invasion of the self-ruled island.
7: China has used the drills in its military playbook to prepare for the invasion of Taiwan. It is conducting large-scale military exercises and missile launches as well as cyber attacks.
6: U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken expresses concern the R.C.'s tension with neighboring Rwanda could spread instability in the region.
8: The top priority during the Secretary of State Anthony Blinken's two-day stay in Congo is pushing for peace between DRC and Rwanda, which Kinshasa accuses of backing militia groups.
6: And the White House declines comment on FBI raid on former President Donald Trump's home in Florida. We'll have these stories and more next on International Edition. Stay tuned. Taiwan's foreign minister said on Tuesday that China is using the military drills it launched in protest against U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit as an excuse to prepare for an invasion of the self-ruled island. Leila Sharokhaki of Reuters reports.
9: Joseph Wu, speaking at a press conference in Taipei, said Taiwan would not be intimidated by the drills.
7: China has used the drills in its military playbook to prepare for the invasion of Taiwan. It is conducting large-scale military exercises and missile launches, as well as cyber attacks, disinformation campaigns, and economic coercion, in an attempt to weaken public morale in Taiwan. China's targeted large-scale military exercises are a serious provocation. China has used Speaker Pelosi's visit to Taiwan as a pretext, but is pursuing its true intentions in a number of ways.
9: A Pentagon official said on Monday that it did not think China would try to invade Taiwan for the next two years. Wu spoke as military tensions simmer after the scheduled end on Sunday of four days of the largest ever Chinese exercises surrounding the island. Pelosi's visit infuriated China and US President Joe Biden said on Monday he was concerned about China's actions in the region, but he was not worried about Taiwan.
3: I'm not worried. But well, I'm concerned that they're moving as much as they are. But I don't think they're going to do anything more. Right?
9: China has never ruled out taking Taiwan by force. And on Monday, Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesman Wang Wenbin said that China was conducting normal military exercises in our waters in an open, transparent and professional way, adding Taiwan was part of China.
6: That's the Alessia of Reuters. And as China continues its provocative offshore drill close to Taiwan's coast amid rising tensions, Taipei is keeping a wary eye on Beijing's military assets and personnel. Reports indicate Taiwan forces are monitoring the movement of aircraft and ships taking part in the drills, but as yet has not placed its forces on alert. For more, I spoke with VOA's Seoul Bureau Chief Bill Gallo.
2: Taiwanese residents and the Taiwan government really does want to sort of defy China by showing that you cannot bully us, that life will go on as normal, and that we're not going to cower. And I think there is a lot to be said for that in terms of the Taiwanese people continue to have a lot of faith in their government, in their military. However, I think that you have rightly noted that there is a risk of becoming too relaxed, not because the Chinese are going to invade tomorrow, but because they might invade in a couple of years or or in 10 years. Are the Taiwanese people ready to fight? I mean, these are uh, Chinese people culturally, linguistically. Some of them have long felt an affinity towards China. As China becomes more aggressive, they have looked at the situation and said, well, we don't want to be a part of the Chinese Communist Party rule. But at the same time, I must say there is a feeling if you really push people on it, that they want peace more than anything. And while many are ready to fight, I think many do wonder how far they would go to fight such a big neighbor. And I think a lot of it depends on how much support they would get from partners like the United States, militarily speaking.
6: Any indication as to how long these extended military drills will go on?
2: No, we have no idea. It was supposed to last for four days. It was supposed to end on Sunday. And now sort of every day we get another message from the Chinese military. They'll put out statements saying we've extended the drills. At first, this was at least an attempt to show that they can invade or blockade Taiwan. I think now maybe also what you're seeing is a little bit of a game where they're trying to get the Taiwanese authorities to sort of wear down and sort of be exasperated and be like, how long can we keep this up? Because the Taiwanese authorities are not just laying back. They're sort of meeting these Chinese patrols on the high seas, sort of deterring them in real time. And it's very dangerous. There could be a miscalculation. But it also is just, you know, more evidence that Taiwanese military authorities really don't have the capacity to do this forever.
6: That's VOA's So Bureau Chief Bill Gallo speaking with me from Taipei. Australia says its defence force must be, quote, as potent as possible, unquote, as China intensifies its military drills near Taiwan. Speaking on Tuesday, Australian Defence Minister Richard Mars said Beijing's military build-up is, quote, enormous, unquote, concern and has shaped the strategic circumstances of the region. From Sydney, Phil Mercer reports.
10: Australia is calling for calm and a return to normality around the Taiwan Strait. Tensions have escalated since U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit last week to Taiwan, an island China claims as its own. In response, Beijing has launched drills in the Taiwan Strait, deploying jets and warships and firing several ballistic missiles. Australia's Acting Prime Minister Richard Marles, who's also the Defence Minister, said Tuesday that China's military activities – were of significant concern. At the weekend, Australia joined the United States and Japan to condemn the escalation in tensions. But Beijing insisted it was the victim of diplomatic bullying. Last week, Australia announced a review of its military capabilities for the next decade. Miles told the Australian Broadcasting Corporation that China's growing assertiveness has become an immense security and political challenge for the Canberra government and its allies.
2: It is the single biggest fact which shapes the strategic environment of our region, arguably the world. It's certainly one of the key facts in shaping Australia's strategic circumstances and it's why we need to make sure that we are building a defence force which is as capable as possible, which is as potent as possible, so that we can keep Australians safe.
10: Australia has a one-China policy that doesn't support Taiwanese independence. Officials have said that Canberra doesn't back any unilateral action on either side of the Taiwan Strait, which would change the status quo. Tensions over Taiwan join a long list of disputes and grievances that have unsettled Australia's relationship with its biggest trading partner. There have been allegations of Chinese interference in Australian affairs, concerns about democracy in Hong Kong, and Beijing's ambitions in the South China Sea and the Pacific. The two sides also have clashed over Canberra's call for an inquiry into the origins of COVID-19, which was first detected in China. Analysts have said China has sought to punish Canberra with a range of restrictions on Australian commodities. Beijing has accused Australia of anti-China hysteria. The recently elected Labour government in Canberra has said it was on a mission to repair its fractured ties with China, but experts have said that tensions over Taiwan have shown it will be a delicate process. Phil Mercer for VOA News, Sydney.
6: The White House is refraining from saying much about the search carried out by federal law enforcement at the private club and residence in Florida of former President Donald Trump, with officials there saying they were not informed in advance about the action. More from VOA's chief national correspondent, Steve Herman, in Washington.
3: White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean Pierre was reticent on Tuesday, responding to reporters' questions about the previous day's FBI search of Mar-a-Lago.
4: The Justice Department conducts investigations independently, and we leave any law enforcement matters to them. Uh, It would not be appropriate for us to comment on any ongoing investigations.
3: Trump, who was in New York at the time, characterized the search at his Florida property as an unannounced raid. This type of law enforcement action against a former president is unprecedented, according to Akron University political science professor David Cohen.
6: In terms of presidents being criminally charged or even really investigated in a serious investigation, we just have no history of it in this country.
3: There has been no comment from the FBI or the Justice Department, and the contents of the search warrant have not been revealed. Republicans in Congress are vowing to hold hearings about alleged political interference by the Justice Department if they take back control of either the House or Senate in November's midterm elections. Steve Herman, VOA News, Washington.
6: Thank you, Steve. Russia's Defense Ministry said on Tuesday that its forces have destroyed an ammunition depot near the central Ukrainian city of Oman, storing U.S.-made HIMARS missiles and M77 howitzers. In his daily briefing, the ministry said it destroyed over 300 rockets in the strike. But analysts dispute the claims. They say in addition to the disinformation Russia is putting out about HIMARS, it continues spreading false information about events taking place in Ukraine as well. So as the war in Ukraine enters its sixth month, what is the intersection between Russian propaganda and the Kremlin foreign policy goals? Christopher Paul, senior social scientist at the RAND Corporation, discusses with Flashpoint Ukraine's host, Steve Miller.
1: Russia uses propaganda and misdis or malinformation to further their foreign policy goals, uh, to support them, to kind of allow them to do the things they want to do, as happened in Crimea in 2014, a uh, kind of fait accompli where they've done something and they've created enough obfuscation or uncertainty around it to paralyze other possible actors and allow them to move forward. One of the other things that That Russia wants as a general foreign policy goal supported by their information strategy, because Russia has this long history of propagandizing their own domestic audience. They have fairly low credibility domestically. People are very skeptical of the things they read or see in official channels. They want that for everyone else in the world. So Russia's RT slogan, Question More, that's almost emblematic of their war on information globally. They would love it if everyone everywhere was skeptical of the things they heard in what should otherwise be credible news sources. Do you see as the propaganda efforts by the Kremlin following its foreign policy goals, or do you see the propaganda in terms helping to shape that? So as you just put it, RT's slogan, question everything. Do you see that as, as trying to get efforts to people to question things in the so-called truth sphere? If you're asking about the chicken or egg problem, is it part of their foreign policy or is it part of their disinformation? I think it's foreign policy led, but then it's pragmatically structured by what can be accomplished. And remember too, Russia top to bottom is a nation of chess players. So some of Russian foreign policy is going to be opportunistic based on what the state of play in the world and what other participants in politics and global policy and information are doing. There's going to be that opportunistic feedback seizing on opportunities presented in the state of the board, if you will, to extend the chess metaphor.
6: That's Christopher Paul, senior science at the Ryan Corporation, speaking with Flashpoint Ukraine's host, Steve Miller. In other news, hundreds of pro-democracy activists marched on Independence Square in Sri Lanka's commercial city of Colombo on Tuesday, demanding the release of detained demonstrators and new elections. The protest took place a month after massive protests forced the then president Gotabaya Rajapaksa to step down. Ranil Wickremesinghe was voted in as acting president in Sri Lanka by lawmakers on July 20th, with many hoping his long experience in government could help pull the country out of a gripping economic and political crisis. Activists accused Wekrumenhe and his government of cracking down on protesters who helped up with the government of Rajapaska. Wekrumenhe, a six-time prime minister, took charge despite public anger with the ruling elite after several months of severe shortages of food, fuel, and medicines. For more on this story and other breaking news, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Remember to connect with us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Search for VOA Africa. You're listening to VOA's International Edition. I am Chineraufo in Washington. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken arrived in the DRC on Tuesday to raise concerns that tensions with neighboring Rwanda could spread instability in the region. Political analysts say the United States is also concerned about Russia and China's access to rare earth minerals in the DRC. Victoria Munga reports for VOA Africa News Center in Nairobi, Kenya.
8: The top priority during the Secretary of State Anthony Blinken's two-day stay in Congo is pushing for peace between DRC and Rwanda, which Kinshasa accuses of backing militia groups. Blinken is in the DRC in his second trip to Africa as the top U.S. diplomat. The trip follows a visit by Russian counterpart Sergei Lavrov, which was his first to Congo. Analysts say the Cold War rivals are vying for influence in the DRC, which is marred with violence and conflicts in its east because of the region's rare minerals. Masharia Munene is an expert on international relations. The strategic resources, minerals and other critical ones that are used for industrial development as well as weaponry and technology, and Congo is extremely rich in these things. So whoever can deny those things to other people becomes very powerful. Munene says the conflicts in Congo are destabilizing the country along with neighboring Rwanda and by extension other nearby nations. He says the issue is of concern to the United States. You never know who is going to come up and take advantage of the situation uh, to the detriment of the U.S. interest. Now, there's a destabilizing force, um, not just in eastern Congo, but uh, in the, um, so Rwanda and maybe a bit of Burundi. Another top issue amid the long-standing rivalry between DRC and Rwanda is the reemergence of M23 rebels. King Shasa says Kigali is backing the rebels, but Rwanda has repeatedly denied the allegations. Congo's army, along with the United Nations mission in Congo, known as MONUSCO, defeated the M23 in 2013. In November of last year, its forces began to reappear. Their reappearance is threatening human rights in Congo, according to the United Nations. Separately, Amnesty International's Advocacy Director for Africa, Kate Hickson, says the U.S. should remain focused on rights issues. Victoria Amunga for VOA News, Nairobi.
6: Vote counting has started in Kenya's presidential legislative and local elections, and it appears voting across the country has gone smoothly, despite some irregularities in the early voting hours. Muhammad Yusuf reports.
4: Some Kenyan voters remained in line to register their votes after the polls closed across the country at 5pm local time. In some polling centres, vote counting already is underway. Kenya recorded a 30% voter turnout six hours after the polls opened. And the Kenya Electoral Commission said it expected a total voter turnout of about 60%. At least 22 million people are eligible to vote. The Commission conducted most voter identification using the integrated election systems that help identify the voters. Some voters across the country report biometric voter registration was not working or was taking a long time to identify voters. The electoral agency says 238 polling stations out of 46,232 used manual registers to identify voters, allowing at least 100,000 voters to cast their ballots. Election of two governors and four parliamentary seats was suspended because of errors printed on the ballots. The voters in two counties and four constituencies expressed their displeasure with the electoral agency order. One candidate for parliament was arrested for allegedly fighting at a polling station and another parliamentary candidate was said to be in possession of machetes at a voting centre. President Uhuru Kenyatta's administration is coming to an end and Tuesday's voting will result in a new government. The presidential results are expected to trickle in as soon as the polling stations count the ballots. The Electoral Commission has seven days to announce the presidential vote winner. The president-elect must get a 50% vote to take charge of the government and the country's affairs. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi.
5: This is Science in a Minute. The most accepted theory for the origin of the universe is the Big Bang Theory. According to NASA, the Big Bang is the idea that the universe began as just a single point 13.8 billion years ago, then expanded to grow as large as it is and continues to rapidly expand. Another theory proposed by cosmologists is that the universe had no beginning or ending and expands and contracts in endless cycles. A new study from physicists Will Kinney and Nina Stein at the University at Buffalo suggests even if the universe goes through endless cycles, it still has to have a beginning. Stein says in a university press release that people have many reasons to be curious about the early universe, but her favorite is the natural human tendency to want to know what came before. I'm VOA's Rick Pantaleo.
11: Hi, I'm Kim Lewis. Join me and our panel of journalists as we discuss the top stories of the week, including reaction to the FBI executing an unprecedented court-authorized search of former President Donald Trump's home, sparking an escalation of tensions between the former president and those investigating him for alleged wrongdoing. Join us for Issues in the News this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America.
4: Go
3: beyond the daily headlines with VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. Each weekday, join us as we put the latest developments into a global context with stories, interviews, and analysis. Listen online at voanews.com slash flashpoint or in your favorite podcast player.
6: And to all our VOA listeners, please note we have moved our programs to a new website, voaafrica.com. From voanews.com, there you will find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com, and thanks for listening. This has been International Edition on The Voice of America. On behalf of the entire production team, Thank you so much for listening. Visit our website for in depth coverage of world events and news 24 hours a day at voaafrica.com. Until next time, I am Chinerofo in Washington. Have a wonderful day.
3: an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government.
11: On November twentieth, 2020, Burma's National League for Democracy Party, or NLD, won an overwhelming majority of votes in the national election. Less than three months later, the Burmese military seized control of Burma's government and detained the country's leaders, including State Councilor Aung San Suu Kyi and President Win Myint, as well as members of their political party. The regime launched the coup on February 1, 2021, as the newly elected parliament was preparing for its initial session. The regime used lethal force to suppress protests throughout the country. According to the NGO Assistance Association for Political Prisoners, Burmese security forces killed over 2,000 people and arbitrarily arrested over 14,000. The military also expanded abusive operations in ethnic minority areas, displacing more than 750,000 people. In an attempt to stop the bloodshed, leaders of the nine other ASEAN countries met with Burma's military commander-in-chief, General Min Ong Lang. They prevailed upon him to agree to the five-point consensus by which the Burmese military regime agreed to end the violence in Burma to hold dialogue among all parties— to accept the appointment of a special envoy, to accept humanitarian assistance by ASEAN, and to allow the special envoy to meet with all parties. Unfortunately, the agreement changed nothing as the military regime has consistently failed to uphold its commitments. It's unfortunately safe to say that we've seen no more positive movement, said Secretary of State Antony Blinken.
10: We
3: continue to see the repression of the Burmese people. We continue to see violence perpetrated on them. By uh, the regime. We continue to see virtually the entire opposition in jail or in exile. And we continue to see a terrible humanitarian situation exacerbated by the fact that the regime is not delivering what's necessary for the people.
11: We will continue to look for ways that we and other countries can effectively put pressure on the regime to move back to the democratic path, said Secretary Blinken.
3: Regional support for the regime's adherence to the five-point consensus developed by ASEAN is critical. All the ASEAN countries need to continue to demand an immediate cessation of violence, the release of political prisoners, and a restoration of uh, Burma's democratic path.
11: All countries have to continue to speak clearly about what the regime is doing in its ongoing repression and brutality, said Secretary Blinken. We have an obligation to the people of Burma to hold the regime accountable.
7: That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government.